Welcome to Audible Brutality. Two grouchy musicians humorously complaining about the state of music today. Featuring Adam Percy and Tim Vandervan. Take it away, Adam and Tim. Hey, whose sexy voice was that, Adam, in that intro? That's a pretty sweet intro. Yeah, that guy, I don't know. It's it, Every time he's around, you're not, Tim. What's going on? I know, it's weird. It's it's like, I think he's avoiding you. I think so, too. I think it must have been something I've said. Is he like your pokeroo? Could be. Or mm. Either that or he's, you know. Did you miss him again? <laughs> with every shot so far, Adam, with every shot so far. So. <laughs> How you been doing, brother? I'm good, man. It's actually finally turning into a beautiful spring season out here out west. How you uh, are you uh, holding down? I think we're on week three of our required quarantining or, or uh, social distancing. They've set up um, the police, the SQ, have set up roadblocks. The SQ, by the way, for our listeners, is the uh, the provincial police in Quebec. So, you know, I don't mind that because, you know, there's too many people treating this like a snow day. So um, just stay home, everybody. Let's flatten the curve. Listen to our podcast. Drink uh, hot cocoa with, you know, six ounces of rum in it and stay home and don't go anywhere. And, you know, you don't need to see all those people. Anyways. Enjoy enjoy it while you can. Take it while you can. Take advantage of it, man. Maybe I know maybe your family is terrible. That's OK. <laughs> That's... But find a way to play something, play a game, play Clue, play Monopoly, uh, drink, drink and sob in the basement, uh, you know. <laughs> Not too uh, hard. <laughs> Don't drink it, hard too it, hard. Know? But uh, yeah, that's no, it. for Daddy sure. drinks because you're home all the time. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when, yeah. Perhaps to make things run, the government needs a box of Oblique Strategies cards. Oblique Strategy. 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 You know? You know? You know what I, I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? I think I, I think it's time to delve into those cards right now. Let's dive into you know what I mean. Well, here's what I, I, you know what I mean, Adam. So here's what I got. This is the first card I pulled. Make a sudden, destructive, unpredictable action. Incorporate. How was that? There you go. That was a good uh, unpredictable action. It is in our podcast. It has been incorporated. Do you have anything and to contribute? Did, <laughs> at this time, no. I think uh, you know. I, I will. I will withhold. I will. I will look at the second card. Well, this this actually kind of is funny. This goes part and parcel with the previous card. Adam, what are you really thinking about just now? Incorporate. Actually, to be honest, I was looking outside going, yeah, you know, it's really nice to do a podcast when you're forced to be inside with a good friend. There you go. There, there we go. go. So yay. Sunshine yay. and lollipops. Thanks for your insight, Brian. It's always appreciated. <clears throat> I will say something at the end of the sh- this broadcast uh, to give you an idea about these cards. They were a thing for a while. I remember every other pr- producer that I would meet would be Hey, have you got the oblique strategy set? 
So it was kind of like the producer's version of Cards Against Humanity, except, I don't know, less dirty. <laughs> the original copyright on these is Brian Eno and Peter Schmidt, 1975. Wow, when Brian Eno had hair. There you go. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Did Eddie Kramer use these in the making of Kiss Alive? Who knows? Who knows? Wow. The mystery continues. We will have to Google Indeed. that. I like our little oblique strategies corner. It's kind of nice. It's uh, It takes it's us to a different place before we move into other things, which I think we should do right now. I think maybe we should move into our first topic of the day. What do you say, Tim? I think so. Excellent. Hit me, Adam. Well, so our first topic is social media. It's a trap. Discuss. It's a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. Discuss. So, yeah. Um, social media is a good thing, but it should not always be the thing, especially as a musician when it comes to promoting yourself. Um, and there are, I think, a lot of, while there's a lot of benefits to using social media, and obviously, especially now in this time of global quarantining, Definitely, there the, a lot of those benefits are starting to shine through. So this isn't really necessarily meant as a shit on for social media, but it is maybe more sort of something to uh, highlight certain areas where people maybe go a little bit too far or put far too much on social media and not enough mm-hmm. on actually maybe I don't know writing songs, <laughs> for example. Actions, yeah, like, actions, perhaps, yes. Yeah, I see I see an awful lot of people who do spend an inordinate amount of time on social media. And one of the problems with that is that a lot of people don't actually set themselves up to gauge the results of their actions. Tim and I were in a band a while back where we were basically told that that we needed to have a certain level of numbers up on our social media before people would start to take us seriously. Um, exactly. And I'll be honest, that made me cringe a little bit. The idea that somehow that social media is for everyone else and not for you as a musician, in other words, like everyone else needs to see that you're popular and therefore I will like you is stupid. Um, mm-hmm. Social media needs to work for you as an artist, right? So when we were told this, my argument was our numbers aren't bad. We have pretty good numbers on our Facebook page and we're starting to get a little bit of traction on Instagram, which is good. And those were the, really the only two things we focused on. I think we tried Twitter for all of like three minutes and we're like, yeah, this is dumb. (laughs) And and just focused on what was working. And, you know, I wound up telling this person, you know, like I know that every single one, almost every single one of these people who liked our page likes our stuff. And you know, while high numbers are nice and they can be indicative of, yes, like a a lot of reach. Well, that's not always good too. You know, this is another thing that we actually had to deal with in this particular band was, oh, wow. You know, we have, you know, so many people following us, so many hundreds or thousands of people following us, but now we have to pay to reach two thirds of them, (laughs) you know? So now you have to start funneling into this, sort of system of paying a third party to reach people who you really should already be able to reach because they're the ones who have connected with you in the first place. 
right? Well, there's also the, the, the issue too that I found is that you can go to one of those like like farms and pay for a bunch of likes to artificially inflate your numbers. So you can have, you know, you can go back to, you know, your manager, you can go back to publicists and record labels and all these people and say, look at this, man, we've got 5,000 fans, you know, uh, 5,000 likes on our page and we are, you know, we're a bunch of nobodies, but look at this. And it takes a bit of an astute mind to actually look at that and go, well, yeah, you might have 5,000 likes, but every time you post something, the same 15 people are the ones that are reacting and responding. Yes, exactly. And that's, I think that goes back to, you know, my point of where you need to be spending your time, I think, as a musician, when it comes to your social media, is gauging that, looking at Mm. those people and sort of going, well, these are the people who are paying attention. You know, when you're a band and you go on stage, you have what's hopefully a relatively captive audience who have paid money to come and see you mm-hmm. and they're paying attention. So I would expect the same from my social media audience as well. I really don't care about that person who just liked it because meh, whatever, you know, I don't know. My, my ex-girlfriend liked it and I'm jealous because the, you know, the drummer's kind of cute or something. And, well, you know, he was, he was, he was pretty cute though, to be honest. So they, I mean, yes, you know. of course. That's why I said it. <laughs> but the, the, there you go. But it's, it's, it, it's also, it's like, you know, some of the likes are, well, because, you know, on this Instagram post, we went band, uh, musicians, music, and oh, by the way, there's a cat in the picture. So we went cats of Instagram. Oh, boom. Suddenly we got 45 more likes than we normally get. Yeah. And it's because there's a cat in the picture. So is it the band or is it because there's that rather good looking small little tiger sitting beside you? Right. <laughs> yeah. So to go to your point, you're making a great point, Adam. It's about... It's just like anything else. When you're doing the live show, you want to be ready. You want to be tight. You want to be together. You want to be on the same page. And your social media has to be the same way. And it's like a live show. You can't do 45 live shows in a month and expect to fill the room. Yeah. And you can't even play four shows in the same city in the same month and expect that, the, you know, so you get 100 people to the first show you're probably going to get 60 to the next and you're going to get 30 to the one after that. And then 20 to the last one because you're not, there really isn't anything new to offer. So your social media kind of has to be like that. You still need to drive interest, but at the same time though, it can't be like, Oh, I'm just going to take this band out of my feed, man. Cause all they do is tell me, oh, we're in the studio again today. Yeah. Well, you've been in the studio for three years. Oh yeah. You know? That actually is a big pet peeve of mine is where people are constantly posting the new album is coming soon. Like mm-hmm. all the time, it's this constant sort of like, I'm working on music and here's me in my underwear. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or yeah. here's me with my cat, new album coming soon. Like this is. Here's another photo of my synth, which by the way is on the new song, which by the way, I'm going to put the other synth in another picture tomorrow, which is also on the new song. Yeah. And hashtag new album the, coming soon. Like no, the drummer's like, going to take a picture of his ride symbol. And again, hashtag new album. Where are you guys? Holy cow. You know, we've war posted all day long, 25 posts today and we're only getting 10 likes. What's going on? You know? Yeah. yeah. Clearly if you've posted six times in the last six months, that new album is coming soon. That new album is not coming soon because you're too busy on Instagram and not, spending enough time in the studio so yeah i i don't know i mean that is i think is a is a huge 
trap. The one thing that, that a lot of social media companies say when it comes to their advertising that I do think that they get right is when you post an ad, it doesn't, it, it can't look like an ad. In other words, don't make an ad that says new album coming soon. Click here to pre-order now. Bah. You know, like it's not a billboard. It's mm-hmm. something that you want people to engage in. And, and this is where it's tricky. It's actually really counterintuitive to create an ad that doesn't look like an ad to then try and get people to buy something through that ad. <laughs> right? Well, it's like, almost, it's almost come to like my the show lady. or buy a CD, like, but I don't want to look like I'm selling it to you. Right. <laughs> How do you do it looks that? like, it, it looks like the late eighties uh, infomercials before everyone realized it's the same guy in the same lousy sweater pimping all the same products. Right. Exactly. You know, I remember the first time I saw an infomercial, I was like, I, I wasn't sure what I was watching. Because yeah. they never used to do the disclaimer, not in the not in the late eighties. They didn't say the following is a paid program for uh, you know, Floby, the haircut that sucks, you know. And so the first time you see that, you see the guy in the sweater is like, Are you tired like me of cut hair? You cut your hair at home and there's hair all over the floor and it's such a mess to clean up. Wouldn't it be great if something would help us and be make our lives easier? Yeah, I mean, we're in the nineteen eighties, right? And you'd there'd be an audience like, Yeah, you know, the Phil Donahue, Jerry Springer, Sally, Jesse, Raphael audience. is like, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, the first few times I saw those, I'm like, what am I watching? You know, and it wasn't until the very end where it says the preceding program was a paid uh, announcement or paid advertisement for Floby. It gets glossed over at the end. And you're like, oh, that's what that was. Okay. Yeah. Uh, to your point, I guess what you're trying to say to the audience, Adam, is that that's what you kind of, you want to generate that excitement in the ad that doesn't feel like an ad at first. That makes someone actually go click and go on the ad and it's like free yeah. song, click. And that's you know? tricky because again, it's counterintuitive. And this is where I think social media is a bit of a trap. And, and a lot of bands do this whole thing where they just kind of carpet bomb their ads and they pay for whoever to look at this ad and they don't care whether it's someone who would be interested in it or not. This is an advantage of social media is that you can actually Mm -hmm. like gauge who you're targeting in terms of your advertising. Exactly. I think what you're, what you're going with is like, you're talking about targeting the audience properly. And that actually makes me think about what happened in one of the bands we were in where the, somebody, one of the members of the band took out an ad and, and it was like, so where's your target? Oh, well, I targeted Austin, Texas, because I want to play there. And it's like, you know, the sound of slapping foreheads, because it's like, right. what's wrong with you? We haven't even played a show in Toronto yet. Well, and this is, you know, and that's, that's, so, a, tri- that's again, a tricky trap, too, is, is those ads have no way of, of providing proof of product. You know, you just, for example, used uh, infomercials from the 80s as, and 90s as, a, as an example of this is something tangible that you can see. You can see, you know, the Ginsu knife cutting through the tin can and you go, oh yeah, where have you been all my life? With social media, there is no way for you to do that with your music. There is no way that that ad can generate those amazing feelings in your groin and your belly that you know your music can do. So doing things like carpet bombing your social media and, you know, throwing a pile of shit against the wall and hoping it sticks is a bad idea. <laughs> and again, that's where it's a trap. It's, it's like you said, uh, you know, you can use your advertisements as an aspirational. I want to go to Austin. 
I want to go play Austin because I have a friend there, but nobody's listening to you in Austin. So what's That's your it. message? Like, how do, how do you get them to listen to you? And like, because you can't with an ad. So this is where our website's good because it's very easy to sell from your website and it's very easy to drive traffic to your website. And you really should be focusing on that and not focusing on how many numbers you have and, you know, how many potential likes you can get in a city where nobody knows who the fuck you are. <laughs> well, it's, that's exactly right. You know? And I think one of the big things, the great thing about a website is that, so if you're smart, you take your Facebook fan page and you try to drive your traffic from that page to the, to your website, that's where your t-shirts and your posters and your records are. Yeah. But also that's where there's this whole gold mine in the back of the website that the average punter doesn't see, but you will because you get these reports from your website host. Hopefully. Who's hitting yeah. and where. Yeah. So you're seeing that these guys are coming in from, you know, so for example, one of the bands that you and I were in, we saw that the majority of the traffic was the greater Toronto area, which is essentially London, Ontario, all the way out past Oshawa and up to Barrie yeah. and Peterborough. Then we saw a couple of hits coming out of Montreal, which were a couple of my friends. And then there was traffic coming out of where I live, which of course, because I'm looking at our website to see how things look. But there wasn't any traffic coming from south of the border. There wasn't any traffic coming from Europe. We didn't have hits from England and Australia and everything else. Mm -hmm. And even if we did, it would all be like something where I would post something perhaps on my personal Instagram or personal Facebook. And a friend of mine who's in Australia would go, hey, man, that's a that's a that's a pretty great website. Nice. I took a look at it, you know, so that one hit or the, that one click through six pages on that website does not mean it's time to book a tour in Sydney, Australia. No. To go back to your point, that's why a website is better than Twitter, Twitter and all that other stuff. Think of it as just traffic cops. You just can, you're trying to just push people to your site. The right. reality is when people get to your site, that's where, the engagement and the interaction is well the and the site is the site is free like i mean you pay for hosting but essentially you're not paying for reach like you get reach based on what you put into it mm -hmm. you know sooner or later google is going to catch up with this stuff if you're actually putting a reasonably good amount of content and interesting content on your website it'll get found and that's where your music is it's your it's the little corner of your internet that you know, is all about you and it's also your storefront. So uh, using the example actually of that band that we were in together a few years ago, when we were getting all of that traffic and when we were actually sort of promoting ourselves, it was uh, really because we were promoting the release of our EP, right? So yes, why would we go on tour? Because we want to move copies of our EP, <laughs> because people will see our show and hopefully go, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Give me a vinyl and out the door it, it goes. And ultimately that was the goal. So if the idea is moving product, you go to where you're going to move the product. <laughs> that's really all there is to it. it. Like, and I get this idea of, you know, okay, well this, we think we would do well in Montreal. Let's, let's throw in a hypothetical. We think we would do mm. well in Montreal you know, how do we get those numbers up so that when we go to Montreal, we then sell? Well, I don't really necessarily think the answer is through social media there. Again, it's, it's being heard. Like 
social media can help facilitate that. Again, you know, you could do that if you really feel that that's an important market that is important to you, a space where you know every punter in Montreal will want to buy your record. Then by all means, dump a little bit of advertising money into that, but make sure that at least you're, you're getting them to listen to your shit somehow, some way. Don't just count on an ad to do the work for you. Make sure that ad drives traffic where it needs to go so they can hear it. Because if they don't hear it and they just see a bunch of, you know, kind of half-cocked faces up against a brick wall like every other band, well, what would you do? (laughs) I wouldn't click that. (laughs) I would not be interested in the slightest. It has to have something that works for your audience. Who the hell are you selling this to? Right? Exactly. Do I sound grouchy enough about this yet? I mean, come on. Come on. I mean, come come on, on, guy. Come on, guy. (laughs) You know, but I, to, in conclusion, I think that's sort of the biggest trap that a lot of people fall into is this sort of really heavy dependency on advertising and not really understanding who they're selling to and why. It's about being smart. What have you got now? Is it your best foot forward? And if so, fine. But until then, I think that's definitely something to consider when it comes to promoting on social media. I'll, I'll, I will say this in conclusion and, this is in reference to a mutual friend of ours, Tim, uh, Mr. Mm-hmm. Mr. Cool in Montreal. Dave always I talks have- about the hub and the spoke method of promoting yourself online as an artist. Mm-hmm. The hub being you, your website, everything that is just you. And the spoke is all that social media around it. Without either of those, the wheel does not turn. The wheel doesn't turn the, without the, the spokes and it doesn't turn without the hub. It need both need to be in place, but they yeah. each have their own roles. The spokes are the periphery. The hub is the middle that holds it all together. You know, I guess, he's I guess I'll have to start being stuff. nice to him now. Right. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm he's, kidding. Dave's one of Dave's one of our longtime friends. That's a good guy. Dave cool. Yes. Look him up online, Dave cool. And that is his real name. So yes, as he is always constantly saying, I'm sure. All right. That was a rather interesting chat, man. I feel like I had a lot of things I wanted to get off my chest there on that. And And there's uh, still so much more. So I'd like to welcome everybody to a regular feature here called You Want to Do What Now? Yes. You Want to Do What? I always like this idea of using this podcast as sort of a way to put out a lot of sort of the ideas that the crazy duct tape and wood glue solutions that I know that both Tim and I have done with musicians uh, who we produce. And of course, for our own music, we are definitely not amongst the, the wealthy elite when it comes to studio ownership. We probably fall more into the do it as best you can kind of production as opposed to sleek, ultra sleek, expensive, you know, SSL kind mm-hmm. of studios sort of a more work with what you got kind of we're not gear snobs in the sense that we're like oh i would never be caught using a neve or an ssl oh no well we just don't have millions of dollars in our funds <laughs> in our back pockets to be able to say well i'm gonna you know what i'm gonna do today i'm gonna build a little studio out in the woods away from the house that's got a 48 channel neve from 1973 with uh, you know all these beautiful compressors that i'm looking for in a great drum room we don't have that luxury as i'm sure a number of the people listening to this do not have either not that i would complain 
honestly. Oh God, no, 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 no. Every every time I've gotten a session in a studio with one of those Aneve SSL, that kind of stuff, to me it's like, ooh, I'm on holiday today. This is going to be uh, great. My buddy Chris actually has has an Aneve EQ sort of jerry rigged in a in a sort of a rack unit. It's like this weird Frankenstein Neve thing, and it's oh, it's so nice. Nice. I, Believe me, this is not about, we're, we're not shitting on the really incredible handmade technology that Rupert Neve and others have put out uh, because clearly it is valued accordingly. Mm-hmm. But we also know from our own experience that these are not things that a lot of people generally start out with when they talk about maybe producing from home or doing it themselves or doing it a little bit more DIY. So, Okay, well, what are some things that you can do if, say, you are an aspiring musician and you happen to have gone and bought yourself a laptop and, and, and you know, maybe a nice little audio interface? How do, you mm-hmm. make, how do you make these things work for you? And so speaking of, of friends of ours, another buddy of ours, John Greenberg, sent me a few years ago. It was a PDF titled Shitty is Pretty. And immediately, because it had swearing in it, I was all over it. <laughs> I didn't even care what was in it. It's like, oh, it says shit. Awesome. Okay. But basically. This one's full of swears. I want to, I want to read this one. Yeah. <laughs> well, it basically outlines th- this idea that, you know, you don't have to always sort of cling to uh, this idea that, you know, you have to invest, you know, a crazy amount of money on a microphone or microphones or preamps or whatever to actually get a good sound. A, a lot of what g- takes getting a good sound is your ears. It's, you know, it really isn't the equipment and it's paying attention to what that equipment is doing, what room it happens to be in at the time. They actually, that, that PDF talks an awful lot about getting a good drum sound using mediocre mics. Um, <clears throat> I really should have a T sponsored by Lipton's. Um, glug, 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 just like American Idol, just like American Idol. Basically what you're saying to people is that you've got U87 tastes, but you've got an SM57 budget. Yes. So, <laughs> and I think one of the, one of the big things that I've been doing, a friend of mine, uh, a local drummer, uh, in, in the Montreal area, a good friend of mine, Denis, we've been talking about a lot lately, Denis and I, is not falling too far down the rabbit hole of gear because... You don't need 17 compressors because some guy on some website said, hey, you know what? This one sounds like the compressor that was used on blah, 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 blah in 1975. I think what you need to do is get a modicum of gear and then start to learn the gear. Find out what works. Find out what doesn't work. You know, okay, so this microphone, is it good for close-up and proximity stuff? Okay, yeah, it's, it sounds pretty good. How's it sound in the room? Eh. Not so good. Okay, what can I make it sound good in the room? You know, okay, let's futz with this and futz with that. And okay, well, it's not bad now. There's kind of a cool sound there. Do I want to use that on every song? Maybe not. Yeah. So the idea that you went back to, Adam, of shitty is pretty, is that you you work your gear, you learn your gear, you use it on a song-by-song basis. So I've got a mishmash of... A couple of Shures. I actually have two Radio Shack mics that were made by Shure that I love using on right. drums. I was actually going to um, say that the, I think they even mentioned that in the PDF. I, I haven't read it in a few years, but essentially they talk about, you know, a lot of the Shures that were, I think they, I think they were made in the 80s, are basically 58s with an on-off switch. 
made exclusively for Radio Shack, and it's the same design, same similar. I can tell pattern. you about the ones I have. the two, The two that I have that I use uh, were made in Mexico, and they're essentially a reporter's mic, which you still see used today. You see a reporter holding a black mic that seems to be able to pick up everything, right? Um, and it's a metal microphone and it's, that's the microphone that most reporters use. So it's, it's essentially designed originally it was designed as an interview mic because it's omnidirectional. So it picks up in every direction. And the idea is that, so that while I'm moving the mic from my question over to Adam to say, so Adam, so how was your day? And as I'm moving the mic, if Adam begins to talk, it's still going to pick him up. So I started with those, with a pair of those as my two microphones that I was using. And I began to use those to record drums with because I liked how they sounded as overheads. Yeah. But I've been playing with those for such a long time that I know how to get the sound out of them that I want. And I think that's a big, big thing about shitty is pretty is that you need to be able to, you have to work your gear. You have to try it. You have to make things happen. You can't just rely on some, some yokel on, on the internet's that comes to you and that writes, Oh no, don't use an SM 57. Those are garbage. I wouldn't hammer a nail with those. And then some other guy, it's like, Oh, uh, didn't Michael Jackson use an SM 57? No, he didn't. Oh, did oh, who used an SM? You know? And then all yeah. of a sudden you're, you're again, you're down this rabbit hole of like, well, I just bought 10 SM 57s. Damn. I should have well, bought some 58s. Speaking of, you know? speaking of cheap mics and Michael Jackson, my understanding is that recording thriller Quincy Jones basically decided on the SM seven. Boom, $300 yeah, bow, sure microphone. I mean, uh, I know you did a recording years back with our friend Gareth Carr, and uh, you were using all different sort of nice big LDCs and this and that and the other, and you found all of a sudden that, like, for some reason, his voice really sounded great through a, a 58. Yeah. You know, well, why not? Uh, like, you don't hammer that square peg into the round hole, man. If, it, if a 58 is what makes his voice sing if that's what sounds good, use it. It doesn't matter. Speaking you know? of um, a tip and a trick, this sort of brings to mind because I'm, I'm pretty sure this mic is also Radio Shack. Tim and I were in a recording session, I think about like four years ago now. And two things of note. First off, Tim walked into the studio. Tim's a drummer. He walks into the studio with, what was it, a 19-inch bass drum? And 18, 18 inch bass drum. And immediately the studio owner's like, you're not re fucking recording with that here. I have a 22 inch you can use. And Tim was like, no, I'm using this one. And he's like, no, you're not. And <laughs> this whole back and forth ensues between Tim and the studio guy. And, and I'm like, I'm the producer here. Like I should wait a minute. Like, don't tell my fucking drummer what fucking kick drum he can <laughs> use. Uh, so number one, there was that. And frankly, I thought your kick drum sounded fucking fabulous, baby. But number I've two, the other, no complaints, the, yeah. the other, that other trick that you brought along with you, that Radio Shack PZM, which is That's right. really great for drum recordings. It gives you that little bit of extra crackle of the snare and a little bit of extra thwack in the bass. You slide that fucker right between the drummer's legs it's great. And it's weird because I remember our engineer at the time, Johnny, uh, going like, mm. Whoa, I gotta get one of these. But it was it was fabulous for that. It was such a great little thing. And I mean, how much was that thing? Like <laughs> I think I picked it up for like probably a you know, less than eighty bucks, you know? Yeah. It's just And I I bought a pair of them because that's I every time because as a drummer when I'm recording at home, I 
if I find a mic that I really, really like that I think might be uh, either in the case of PZMs, you might want to put them on the walls to use them yeah. as uh, room mics. Yeah. It was, it was so great, man. Like and for, for that kind of just extra spit and polish on your drum mixes for $80, it was, man, that's like some of the best radio shack I think you ever bought, man. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like well, to this it. day, I still think it's, I, I think I, every time you do a session now, I'm like, Tim, you're going to put the PZM on that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's going it. under the snare, my friend. You know it. Yeah, baby. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. Just to um, give you the little extra crackle. Well, because the frequency response on those things basically goes from the beginning of human hearing to the end of human hearing. So right. 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz. So what I like to do with that mic when I'm recording with it is like, since I'm trying to get the snippety snap of the bottom of the snares. So I push a few of the highs, I pull the mids out and I push the, push the lows up. Yeah. But I mean, you do, you do what works for you. Maybe you want more thwackity thwack. It's you know, a little extra of, throttle. You, where you need it yeah. without yeah. having to like basically beat the shit out of your snare channel. Like it's so nice. Exactly. I loved it. And and I remember again, like Johnny in the studio going, this is, I'm, I gotta find this on eBay. Where are these things? Like, <laughs> this is so dope, man. So yeah, shitty is pretty. That was a great discussion, Tim. Again, like I'm, I'm glad we kind of got to weasel that one in there. Which, you know, which being grouchy leads me to our next topic that I know that, again, Adam suggested this topic and I was all over this when he said it today. So, band dynamics. Oh, dun, band dun, dynamics. Ah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that was like my so, best attempt at a Pac-Man dying. We were sort of discussing this a little bit before. Where did where did we sort of get off on this one? I just well, said we get found off. That, yeah. <laughs> Beavis. Um, band dynamics to me, a lot of times in bands, you've got four different or five or six different personalities, and not everybody is pointing in the same direction, let's say. Right. Uh, I liken it to a foot race. So you're at the Olympics and there are six people lined up on the starting blocks, right? When the gun goes off, you want everyone running in the same direction. And the problem is with a lot of band dynamics, all of a sudden you're running and you see like, okay, so Adam's running beside me. Cool. And then wait, where are the other, where are the other ones? <laughs> and you look up and there's one of them's in the running up the, uh, up into the, uh, into the, the, the crowd and someone else is running into the green grass in the midfield and the other one's running completely backwards or not running at all, just sitting there with their hands folded across their chest going, <laughs> their thumb up their ass. Yeah, totally. So to me, dynamics is like, it's, it's about, for everybody talks about communication and communication is important, but it's also about being honest with each other. And you have to, you know, at some point you have to have the honesty to say, look, this is not working for me. I got to go and just yeah. go. Instead of sticking around and saying like, well, how can I torpedo everything and make everyone else's lives miserable? This you is, know, this um, is so hard to being honest in a lot of ways because any, any craft where you make something is mm -hmm. an emotional thing. And I think oftentimes we tend to put the value of our music on top of who we play with. And so mm -hmm. abandoning someone that you play with or having to sort of say, this isn't working is kind of like a divorce because now it's, you have to divvy up the kids that is your songs. And mm -hmm. that's uncomfortable for anybody. I've been on both sides, I think, of, of that in my life where I've been dumped by a band and I've had to do the dumping. 
so many times, and I've joked about this with my friend Paul as well, and I've joked about this with you, Adam, is that, you know, when you're a kid, you're 16 and you decide you're going to put a band together and you've got your buds and, you know, you play like you get together, then you have that jam session and you sneak in a few beers or whatever. And it's like, it's the best thing in the world. And you think you're really great and you're recording it. I mean, I have tapes going back of me recording of well, you mentioned John Greenberg earlier recording with him going back to 1984 Yeah, of us like, you know, Oh, we just played four notes in a row together. Wait, stop, put a tape in, hit record in the ghetto blaster and let's play. Yeah. And there's that excitement initially. And then it's, it's about trying to figure out whether or not everybody's on board with you for the same vision. And I don't mean the same vision as like, oh, we're going to do these types of songs. I mean, are you going to still be here in a year playing bass guitar in this band? Are you still going to be here in a year as the lead singer? Is this what you want to do? Or are you just trying to get laid right now? And once you get laid, you're going to disappear. Or we, you end up with, with members that come in that, are, that seem to be going, oh, yeah, yeah, this is amazing, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then the next thing you know, all of a sudden, they're not there they're not showing up they don't want to be in the band anymore but they're not telling you or they're 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 being intentionally obtuse and grouchy about stuff and i remember you you telling me once and you've worked with a few artists in montreal who are around at about this who are basically playing shows in montreal around about the same time as arcade fire was kind of coming up to their first album i think you told me once that they wound up like getting rid of a lot of the earlier iteration of their band members because mm-hmm. they had decided on going in a certain direction that, you know, they knew that these people in the group could not come along for the ride with. Well, that's, that was my understanding too. And that it sounds a bit cold hearted and business oriented, yeah. but at the same time, you've got to think like that. So your best friend is the bass player, but he doesn't know how to make his amp sound any good. Right. And he, he only plays that bass, you know, that his mum bought him in 1989 when he was learning to play bass. And this thing's, the intonation's gone and then the frets are worn out. The nut is cracked and it sounds like yeah. garbage, but he won't play anything else. You know, you got to make a business decision at some point and say, listen, either you are all in and you're in the truck with us or the car or whatever it is, or we got to look somewhere else, yeah. you know? And I think a lot of bands don't do that as a business decision. They still have this, like this unwavering loyalty that, well, I'm going to do this with this guy because he's always been here, even though he keeps sabotaging things and he keeps getting in the way of stuff and he keeps, you know, he's, he's yelling at the drummer and he's making, making bookers miserable and not being nice to the guitar player. And, (laughs) but, but you're going to keep him on just because he was, he was around early, you know? And uh, yeah, and you know, you and I have also sort of been in situations where we've been in in groups ourselves where our own idea of where things should go mm-hmm. is very contrary to other people's ideas of where it should go. And unfortunately, most times it just doesn't end well. I mean, I, I can think of a few examples off of the top of my head. And I know, you know, you and I have had, I think, a lot of very late night drunken discussions about how absolutely fucking shitty that was basically being told no we're doing this your ideas are not valid in terms of direction we're going this way and that that is frustrating and i remember like some situations where you were talking about similar situations like that and and going like dude you should you should just go <laughs> you, should, you really should just go because this is like going to be a battle of wills at this point and 
you know, you're fortunate in that you're, you land at session work and getting some recording. And, you know, I, I, in the back of my mind, I'm always like, Tim, baby, boobga, you gotta, you gotta leave. <laughs> you gotta go. <laughs> Darling, you oh, gotta leave. A, <laughs> this is not going to work. And I hear you, man. It's, it's hard not to know. It's hard to know when you're supposed to leave, if you need to leave when you're in the middle of it. Yeah. Because I think a lot of things, what happens is people try to win. So yeah. there you are in that band. And I was, I was in a band where I was a writer with other people in the band because, and they respected my writing and they respected my input. And then that slowly morphed into, no, you don't write, you're a drummer. And it's like, well, what about those 20 other songs we just did? Right. No, well, you, that's, that's not what's happening anymore. That kind of concept to me was like, well, when you first started working with me, you appreciated my input, you enjoyed my suggestions and ideas, and I never told you that my ideas had to be used. I would just, you know, the throwing spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks sometimes. So in bands like that, I've, I stuck around a lot longer than I should have. Sometimes it was to my benefit where shows got, got great shows or got better shows or got interesting shows. And it was worth it for the shows in my books. And sometimes it was just a complete, complete nightmare that, you know, at the end of the day, I've decided that I'm not going to leave. And all of a sudden, well, the band has left me instead. Well, so they've you moved invested. on and gone somewhere else. You invested. Well, that's it. You invested your own time and your own energy and your own skills into it. And it's mm-hmm. hard to walk away from something that you spent time doing that and believed in. <laughs> but I suppose at least, at least in one of the cases, because uh, it's happened to me a couple of times, it's not something that happens to me constantly. So you can't come back and go, Ooh, common denominator. The problem is actually Tim. <laughs> um, He's just a grouchy guy. Well, that's it. What I would have said about the first time that it happened many, 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 many years ago, I would have said that if I had been smart, if I could go back and visit myself and say, listen, here's what you need to do. Ask these guys. Why, why is this happening? And if that, and what ended up happening later on was we were fine. I, I found out through a new player in the band that, what was going to happen is eventually the band was supposed to go more electronic and they were moving away from live drums. So the idea at the time wasn't, was to keep me out of the loop, I guess. If I'm not writing, if I'm not participating, it's just going to be easier one day when it's a, it's a little Roland TR-808 that's, that's right. <laughs> running the drums now. So if I could go back in time, I would make them tell me what they're doing. So I could say, okay, fine. If that's what you want to do and I'm not part of this, then let's just rip the bandaid off there and still be mates instead of going through all the storm and drum that followed that, you know? I think a lot of this comes back to our, our first early topic too, where having a plan about where this stuff is going to go. Um, mm-hmm. It is constantly amazing to me uh, with a lot of artists that I do meet who are insanely talented, who don't think beyond that they don't really sort of think Mm. beyond just i'm just gonna put a bunch of songs down and make a cd and hopefully people buy it and you know maybe that is your mo but really you know not having a plan and not being clear to the people that you work with that you also have a plan of direction where to go and to be honest i've been there i've been the guy who hasn't really had his you know, probably had his head more in his ass than anywhere else when it came to sort of like projects that I wanted to work on or and with people who I was working with. Uh, I maybe didn't have my shit together as much as I probably should have. But 
when it comes to dealing with band dynamics. I think you used the metaphor of pulling that Band-Aid off. Get it over with up front. Mm-hmm. Don't dangle carrots in front of people. Just be like, look, this is why we need you. This is why you're important. This is the agenda. This is the goal. Do you want to come along with us or not? Exactly. And, and, and if by the same token, if it's, it's uh, we're moving in this direction and we don't think you can do this. Yeah. If that's how you, if that's how you feel, then that needs to be said as well. Yeah. Again, it's a, it's a, it's a yucky bandaid to rip off, but. Yes. You it's know. never pleasant, but too many times I think we've been in situations where, yeah, communication is poor and someone winds up getting really shafted in the end and it never winds up nice. And, you know, fortunately, like with you and I, we've been in lots of projects together and where things have worked out and not worked out and things are still ongoing and (laughs) we can at least Mm -hmm. sort of put our thumbs on those now because we're older and wiser and just more fucking miserable. So allegedly, allegedly allegedly wiser. (laughs) Yes. So boom. And Oh, we got one last thing here for all of our listener out there. The thing that we bring Um, up at the end of every show. Bring up your dead songs. That's it. Bring us your dead songs. Bring us your dead. Bring out your dead. Send us your stuff. We would love to hear it. Yeah, we have a submission form on our website where you can get in touch with us and we'll give you information on how you can get us your songs because we want to pad these suckers out and fill it up with your dead carcasses of material. Your, your, we'd like to put some of your genius into our podcast. Bring us your genius roadkill. We will play there you it. Go. We want it. Uh, we will feast on it like a starving hobo. There you <laughs> go. There you go. Oh, man. I'm full of these metaphors, baby. Well, Tim, it's been a joy once again. And, it has been. Uh, I, we will see you for our next version of our podcast. Uh, stay safe out there in the land of COVID and we'll talk again. Tim and Adam signing off. See you, Tim. Take care, Adam. Ciao, buddy. Audible Brutality is presented by Adam Percy and Tim Vandeven and recorded remotely on Denman Island, British Columbia and in St. Jerome, Quebec. Music submissions or general inquiries can be made through our website at audiblebrutality.com. Give us a like on Facebook or Instagram. And of course, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the Audible Brutality Podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Thanks for listening.